Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We are so glad that you're here. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter 22. Uh, Jackson Gassaway isn't here this morning, but his folks are doing the scripture reading for us, and you're going to see that in the video. And so let's watch as Brooke and Jay Gassaway read for us from Luke 22. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Okay, so for all of you parents in here, for whom it has been a very long time that you haven't had a little one sitting next to you. Let me just invite you. We've got Jason Pollard over there pumping his fist as he walks back to the seat. Let me just invite you periodically to look over at uh, your spouse or lean back to a, a friend or a stranger, whatever it may be, and uh, just periodically say something like this, I'm hungry you have any snacks? I'm bored. Mr. Bird is boring. Is this almost over? Are we almost done? Is there anything I can do? Just get it out. Let it out. This is, this is a healing place. You need, to, you need to let all of that stuff. Welcome back, Children's Church. Welcome back, parents. We do love our kids, and I loved it that they were in here with us this whole time, but I know... Um, you love that they're gone, and that's okay. That's okay, too. Okay, so not long ago, I came across this business card. It was all over the internet, making the rounds, especially on Twitter. Uh, it's from a gentleman who is one of China's wealthiest businessmen. Uh, Chen made his money as a CEO of a company that recycles construction material and domestic waste. And it started making its way around Twitter because he was actually handing out his business card to American journalists. It got attention because he wanted attention. And attention he absolutely got. Now, I blacked out part of it. I'm going to show you what he wrote. And in fact, I've, I've blown it up here a little bit so you can see it better. And I'm going to read part of what he wrote. Uh, most influential person in China. Most prominent philanthropist of China. China moral leader. China earthquake rescue hero. Most, most well-known and beloved Chinese role model most charismatic philanthropist of China, so not just prominent, but charismatic, China low-carbon emission environmental protection top advocate, China's foremost preservation demolition expert, and China's most humble. I added that last part. It, it felt like it needed to be in there. Also, this man is extraordinary. And if you don't believe me, just ask him. He will tell you. And he's got a business card to share with you. And so a reporter from the Wall Street Journal called him up after this card was flying around everywhere and wanted to ask him 
about it. And he said it was on purpose that he is known for his publicity stunts. And then he ended with this quote, please remember one thing, whatever I say is true. Now, if even part of what he put on his business card is accurate, that's, that's impressive. Those are some good qualities, and I like a person with confidence, and he is not lacking in confidence. But I can't help but wonder what happens if this persona that he has put out there, if these bold claims that he has made, if he falls short of the declarations that he's made about himself and the proclamations he's made to other people, what happens if he falls short? And not just if he falls short, but if he falls flat on his face. And you heard one of those stories from the gospel this morning, perhaps the best-known story along those lines from Luke 22. When Peter replies to Jesus in verse 33, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And Matthew and Mark give us some different things that, that Peter says. Peter replied, even if all fall away on account of you, I never will. Even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And all the other disciples standing behind him said the same. What he said, what Peter said, that's, that's us. And even if it's been a little while since you've read the story, you already heard as the Gassaways read what Jesus says is about to happen before the crucifixion, during the trial, Peter's bold proclamations do not come to fruition. Instead, what Jesus said was going to happen, happens. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. And that's the gut-wrenching part of that story, right? It is the familiar part of that story that we know well, and when I read it, I cringe. Those moments when things keep going and they keep escalating and the denials keep coming. And yet, if you've read the gospel stories, then you know that that low part isn't the end of the story. Peter's story ends on a more hopeful note. It lives on a more faithful note. There is the story of his reinstatement, of his redemption, of his renewed purpose. But it's what Jesus says as the setup to this whole thing that I want to spend the rest of our time on. So all of this is taking place in the upper room. Around the time when Jesus establishes the Lord's Supper, and we looked at this a few weeks ago, which means the trial is imminent and the crucifixion is imminent. 
And also, Peter's denial is imminent. And the flight of most of the disciples. Jesus knows that that denial that's happening three times is close. And He knows that the trial and the crucifixion is obviously going to be difficult on Him, on Jesus. But He also knows that it is going to be difficult on Peter and the other disciples. Especially Peter and that sense of shame and failure that is going to come flooding over him. And so listen again to what Jesus says in verse 31. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But, he replied, as we remember, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Now, right off the bat, there's something interesting happening in the way that Jesus addresses Peter. Because he doesn't call him Peter. He calls him Simon. 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 And in some ways, we might say, well, why is that interesting? That also is his name. But let me remind you, it is back in chapter 6 in Luke. When Jesus renames Peter, he gives him a new name from Simon to Peter. And you may remember that Peter means what? Rock. Before the smoldering Dwayne Johnson, there was Simon the Rock, Peter. And it is a name, but it's, it's also a nickname. It's a description. And not just that Simon's going to be obstinate sometimes, although we know that's going to be a part of his story, but that he's going to be strong. I see in you someone firm. I see in you someone that can be foundational in this movement that we're about. And here's something interesting in the Gospel of Luke. Ever since Jesus gives him that name, that nickname, from Simon to you are the rock in chapter 6, all the way until this point, in 22, he's never referred to as Simon again. Always Peter. Every time Jesus addresses him, every time Luke talks about him, it's not Simon. He is the rock. You're the strong one, the solid one. You miss some things, yes. A little, a little obstinate sometimes, yes. But you're Peter. Until now. Simon. Simon. Some of that may just be to grab his attention. Whoa, you don't call me Simon all the time. Like those of us who grew up when a parent throws in the middle name, Bert Jason. Whoa, what, what just happened? Something going on 
Am I in trouble? You don't throw in the Jason very often to the Bert. Bert, Jason, that, that gets my attention and maybe part of it is to get his attention. But part of me wonders if some of it isn't a callback to who he was before he began to follow Jesus. And how his faith and how his future hangs in the balance now. Who will you be after your lowest moment? Will you be Simon? Or will you continue to be the rock? Because Satan, he says, has asked asked to sift you, all of you, as wheat. This is one of those times like a teacher who's looking at one student but knows that all the students are listening and wants all the students to hear. And doesn't that language asked to sift you as weak sort of have echoes of the first couple of chapters of Job? Where the Satan literally in Hebrew, the accuser, is accusing Job of having sort of a fluff faith. The only reason he has the faith that he has is because you have propped him up with blessings and protection. But what happens, Lord, if you take away the scaffolding of your protection and your provision, all of those blessings, what will be left then ever since Jesus sends out the disciples all the times they are with them with him he has always been there to protect them and to guide them but he's about to go away and it will come as an absolute shock to their system the way he goes away through death and eventually we know another is coming the spirit is coming but there are dark times between death and resurrection between the time that they think that all hope is lost and they realize that all of their hopes are realized Part of what Jesus reminds us is we cannot always avoid the darkness. There is not always a way around it. Sometimes life tells us that the only way forward is through the darkness, through the times of trouble, times when our faith is tested and sifted. And the question is not whether we will go through those dark times. We will. Some of us are going through them right now. In many ways, all of us are just trying to come out of them right now. The question is, what will remain? What will be left over? Wheat or chaff? Faith or an empty husk where faith once stood. So now we come to the part that I find the most extraordinary, the most moving in this passage. 
But I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. Jesus prays that Simon's faith would not fail, would not give out. That word he uses for fail is a word Jesus uses in Luke 16 to talk about when someone runs out of money. I'm praying your faith account would still have enough funds to keep you going when this is all said and done. What does he mean by your faith would not fail as you go through this really difficult, dark time? Well, here's some things I'm convinced it does not mean. It does not mean your faith won't mess up. That your faith won't stumble. That you won't sin even though you're in faith. It doesn't mean that He won't turn away for a time. It doesn't mean He won't deny or betray Jesus because Jesus is about to tell Him that's exactly what's going to happen. I'm praying that your faith won't fail and yet I know you are about to deny even knowing me three times and after that you're going to flee the scene and most of the other disciples are going to flee the scene as well. The only ones who stick around are the group of women disciples and John. I'm convinced as Jesus prays that his faith would not fail that he does not mean the stumbling, the sinning, all the ways that he's going to fall short. His prayer is that you will have enough faith left over after this lowest moment that you're about to experience. The failure that Jesus is talking about is not the fall. The failure is not letting God lift him up again after the fall. Just like Jesus, sometimes we write some checks with our mouths that we can't cash. We can't cover. Or I mean just like Peter. We write some checks with our mouths that we can't cash, that we can't cover. That we make some bold declarations of who we will be and who we won't be. In fact, a lot of those bold declarations happen on Sunday mornings in our prayers and in our songs. We make some claims on Sunday mornings that we have a hard time fulfilling as we drive away and as we wake up on Monday morning. And Tuesday morning. It's not if. If you fail. It's not if your faith will occasionally give out. If you will stumble. If you will lose your temper. If you will lose your patience. If you will think that thought about that person that would be embarrassing if it came to light. It's not if you will occasionally judge, no matter how many times we hear Jesus to not do that. 
I'm not saying that all of those things will apply to all of you all of the time, but some of it is going to apply some of the time. It's why it's not if, it's when. I know the denial is coming, Peter. Three times, in fact. Not to mention the ways that you will flee and others will flee. But I want you to notice again what the win is for Jesus. When you turn back. I love this. It's not even when you fall or when you fail. He already knows that's happening. He's, he's already talked about that. But before Peter even turns away, Jesus lets him know that he's offering grace to turn back, to return after really heinous, embarrassing betrayal and denial. When? When you have returned. Jesus has faith in Peter's return even after Peter's faith has bottomed out. Even before Peter's faith has bottomed out. But even that isn't the end of the story. It's not just when you have returned. What is it? When you have returned, I've got a job for you. I've got a task for you. Strengthen others. Strengthen your brothers who've gone through a different experience of darkness. The time of trial the time of testing, the time when they fall is not just for Him. They've all, they all will be sifted as wheat. And He says, when you return, I don't want you to return as if you're on probation indefinitely. I don't want you to return with that mindset. There is something always broken in you that can't be fixed. I don't want you to return stuck in that shame spiral that keeps you living as less than what I've called you to and created you for. When you return, I've got a mission for you. I've got a task for you to think beyond yourself and beyond your shame and beyond your failure to those around you who are also suffering, who are also struggling, who also might get stuck in that shame spiral. As I give you strength, strengthen others. In fact, in many ways, it is because of what Peter goes through that I think he is especially equipped to strengthen the other disciples who go through something similar. I'm reminded of a story that first came out in 2012. Uh, it's a story that I actually referenced in a sermon one Sunday, not that long after it came out. And I know those of you who were there 
will remember it because you remember all of my sermons from nine years ago. And I appreciate that. I love that about you. But for those of you who have come after that, I'll go ahead and tell the story. And those of you who are here, you just nod like, oh yeah, yeah, I I remember this. So there is a story from 2012 of an amateur art restorer in a small village in Spain who attempted to restore a fresco of Jesus called Behold the Man. Some of you remember this story? You do. Not necessarily because of my sermon, but it was all over the news. It was painted in 1930 by an artist who enjoyed a modest amount of success, but never went on to great acclaim. And it was on a wall in a small uh, church in Spain, a small village of about 5,000 people that didn't get a lot of visitors, and this painting was not a well-known painting. Paige and I, several years ago, almost five years ago, spent a little more than a week in Italy. We visited a lot of churches. We saw a lot of amazing paintings, world-renowned paintings from world-renowned artists, the kinds that people line up to go see. You go out of your way to go see. This is not one of those paintings. This is not one of those churches. This is not one of those artists. But this woman, this amateur restorer, set out to fix the picture. Some of you wishing for that eraser that you talked about earlier. I'll let you decide how well that restoration went. It was all over the internet, this restoration, and well, it was compared to a blurry potato, a monkey. It was a laughingstock all over the world, and yet something amazing happened for this otherwise unknown piece of art in a mostly overlooked church in an overlooked tiny little village. And that is, people began to go out of their way and flock to this little church to see this piece of restoration. And the church started to get money in that helped support a a nursing home that they sponsored. And the woman who did the restoration, who's now 85, had money that also came to her that helped her support her child who is 55 years old and has cerebral palsy. And tourist dollars started to come into this little village and it helped prop up some restaurants that have been struggling and suffering. And I've got a little theory about this. There is art that is awe-inspiring. The kind that you look at and you say, that is something special. That is beautiful. I don't know art well, but that, that looks like perfection. That is amazing. It's, 
It's the kind of art that, that people buy tickets to see and stand in line to see and walk away in awe of the beauty. But there is a part of us that also craves and needs those human stories that don't just paint pictures of perfection, but they expose our problems, our shortcomings, our efforts that fall short and fall on their face. We need those stories of a God who can make something beautiful out of something that we mar, that we distort. We need stories of flawed people who are restored to faith. And that's the story of the Gospel. That's the story of our God. That's the story of the risen Lord who doesn't call to Him perfect people, but calls to Him people who sometimes speak a better game that they can play than they can play. Who call to Him disciples who sometimes trip and stumble. It is the story of a God whose strength is made perfect in weakness. Because it's not if. It's when. But here's God's faith and grace for us even when we struggle on our own. The wind is not just if we will return. He believes in us. He offers the power to make that possible. For Him, the wind is this. When you return, when you let me lift you up, don't stay stuck in those shame spirals. When you let me lift you up, lift up the others around you. Strengthen your brothers and sisters. Because God knows we all need that kind of strength these days.